Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. A prehistoric rivalry. I'm Jason Horton. I'm Rebecca Lieb. And this is Ghost Town. This is an episode unlike any other, I would say. It really is indicative of a specific type of person in a specific place and time doing very specific things. We talk, obviously, about a lot of different people in different very specific scenarios to them, but this story would have never happened without a lot of separate things aligning. Rich guy things. Today, we're going back to the Gilded Age to follow two incredibly intense frenemies who would be at each other's throats, trying to outcompete each other at, wait for it, discovering dinosaur remains. And you know it's a rivalry if they give it a name, and the science community of that time certainly did. This is the story of paleontologists Edward Drinker Cope and Othniel Charles March and their bone wars a period of obsessive and intense competitive fossil hunting that would lay the pretty toxic foundation for modern paleontology. Young paleontologists Edward Drinker Cope and Othniel Charles Marsh met in Berlin in 1864, where they became fast friends. After all, they were both very rich white men with similar backgrounds. Cope was born to a wealthy farming family, a science prodigy who published his first scientific paper at the age of 19, Charles Marsh was born to a wealthy farming family and went immediately to Yale and then taught there. They had a kind of whirlwind friendship in Berlin. I'm picturing, you know, a link later before sunrise situation, but who knows? But we do know that they got along great. They even named species after each other. Cope named an amphibian fossil Pythonius marshi after Marsh, and Marsh returned the favor, naming a giant marine creature Mosasaurus copianus after his pal Othniel Cope. Maybe it's Copianus. Either one, not great. Seeing it from modern times. Anyway, they were just two buddies on a mission, young, privileged American scientists determined to be the late 19th century's paleontological superstars. And paleontology was pretty new to the States at that time. After the two hung out in Berlin, learning what they could from German authorities, they both moved back to the States, Marsh back to Yale and Connecticut, and Cope to Philadelphia. Cope and Marsh kept in touch, and in 1868, Cope invited Marsh to visit one of his southern Jersey excavation pits that was keeping him supplied with prehistoric fossils from more than 66 million years ago. 
in classic rich guy style, Cope didn't have to dig around in the dirt himself. No, 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 no. Paleontologists really just had to pay miners to keep kind of digging around wherever they had interest, maybe bring up a fossil or two, and effectively, once they touched it, it was theirs. When Marsh visited Cope in Jersey, he was really impressed. So much so that Marsh paid off some of the miners to send the bones north to his collection in New Haven, rather than west to Cope's study in Philadelphia. Cope found this out and was not happy. Shots fired. Oh yeah, and remember when the two former friends named dinosaurs after each other? Well, around this time, the paleontology community realized Marsh's discovery of Mosasaurus Copinus, I hate saying that, actually came from another quarry in Haddonfield, New Jersey, that Cope was working in. Cope had shown Marsh the quarry in 1868, but Marsh struck a deal with the landowner to come to Marsh with any new fossils first, not his friend Cope. Yikes. Did I mention that both had pretty strong personalities? It was something that had attracted them as friends, but after this, it tore them apart. Cope was quick-tempered and prickly. Marsh was methodical, introverted. Both were known to be paranoid, argumentative, and mistrustful. They also had different scientific beliefs. Cope was a big supporter of neo-Lamarckism, which, again, very simply, is when you think the genetics of the parents are directly transposed onto their offspring, while Marsh supported a little theory called evolution by natural selection. So after the unfortunate Jersey Pitt incident, the two began attacking each other in papers and publications, and their friendship became irreparable. One of the most iconic examples of this, one that every source that I found notes, is when Cope had begun working on and reconstructing an Elasmosaurus, a genus of the marine reptile Plesiosaur. In his rush to publish to compete with Marsh, of course, Cope made an extremely humiliating mistake in his paper. He put the head at the end of the dinosaur's tail, rather than on top of the neck. Marsh gleefully pointed out Cope's error, and also very publicly. Cope was so embarrassed that he tried to buy all the copies of his journal that were in circulation. From then on, Cope began aggressively bone collecting in what Marsh considered his private bone-hunting areas of Kansas and Wyoming. And the rivalry became only more bitter and destructive in the years that followed, a feud that headed westward and would heat up more than anyone would realize. But on that note, let's take a break. Support comes from the History's Trainwrecks podcast that focuses on stories like a temper tantrum that changed history, the president who promised not to run again and regretted it for the rest of his life, the World War II general who lost his pants on a secret mission in enemy territory. The History's Trainwrecks podcast, available now. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. 
Hi, hello, how are you? Hello, and how are you? This is the check-in. This is the time that we all just look each other in the eyes, or not at all. We listen to each other in the ears, and see how you're doing. And tell each other our deepest, darkest secrets. Yeah, you go first. I love to thank all the supporters (laughs) and everyone who's listening, and thank you to all the patrons. They make me a bad person. (laughs) What a deep, dark secret. Yeah, it's one of my worst qualities. (laughs) You're hired. I want to say thank you to all of our patrons. We'd like to thank our government, first and foremost. Of course. Our mayors, Ashley Matson. Hello. David Bull. Hi. Dara Rosenzweig. Hello. James Harrington. Hello. Kat Joselle. Hi. And the one to govern them all. That's right. Avian Noble. If you want... Bonus episodes, early access, no chit chat, no Mm -hmm. ads, patreon.com slash ghost town pod. Now let's get back into it. We're heading back in. Now entering the 1870s, paleontologists were having great success finding fossils out in the American West. So Cope and Marsh's attentions turned that way. Using his influence in Washington, D.C., Cope was granted a position on the U.S. Geological Survey. While the position offered no salary, not that Cope needed it, it afforded him a great opportunity to collect fossils in the West and publish his findings, all under governmental supervision. Cope's flair for dramatic writing helped the official survey reports, and the position felt like it was a good fit. In June of 1872, Cope set off on his first trip, intending to observe the Eocene bone beds of Wyoming for himself. This caused a Another rift between Cope and some other paleontologists, because he was infringing not just on Marsh's turf, but on other private excavation sites. A real paleontological faux pas. Cope took his whole family to Denver, where he put together an outfit for a new dig. Two teamsters, a cook, a guide, and three scientists from Chicago who were interested in studying with him. Little did Cope know that the two of the Chicago men were in fact employed by Marsh. When Marsh found out the men were working on Cope's expedition, he was furious. The men tried to assure Marsh that they were still down to work with him. One suggested he took the job in order to lead Cope away from good fossils. But it was probably Marsh's laziness in soliciting firm agreements and payments that likely caused them to seek work with slightly more dependable people. All in all, the expedition went really well. Cope and his men discovered dozens of new species and really forged forward with their own paleontological careers. Meanwhile, one of Marsh's men accidentally forwarded some of Marsh's material to Cope instead. On receiving the materials, the fossils, Cope actually, and again, this is one time only, did the right thing and sent them back to Marsh. But again, the relationship was already supremely damaged. In 1873, the open hostility between Edward Drinker Cope and Othniel Charles Marsh continued. But bear in mind, all this time, Cope and Marsh were making incredible, field-changing discoveries that we still study today. It was a strange time. Anyway, the two paleontologists had a habit of sending quick telegrams eastward, describing their findings, then publishing fuller accounts after returning from their trips. Among the new specimens described by the men were Unitherium, Loxophodon, Ibusileus, Dinoceras, and Tinoceras. I'm pretty sure I got maybe two out of those five names right? Anyway, let me know. The problem was that after going west, many of their findings were not uniquely different from each other. In fact, 
both Cope and Marsh knew that some of the fossils they were collecting had already been found by each other. It didn't stop them from trying to lay claim and take all the glory, though. And so they kept sending reports back to their paleontological communities. As it turned out, many of Marsh's names were valid, while virtually none of Cope's were. We think it's because Marsh was more organized and got to them first and kind of published them first, but it's hard to know for sure. Marsh also got credit for discovering a new order of mammals, Cynocera. Hopefully I'm saying that right, too. Cope was humiliated and powerless to stop or counter-argue his rival's successes. Instead, he published a broad analytical study where he proposed a new plan of classification for the Eocene mammals, in which he discarded Marsh's classification in favor of his own. Marsh, pissed, continued to claim that all of Cope's names for Dinosaurata were incorrect and that he was an absolute fraud. Cope, pointing his dusty dinosaur fossil-grabbing finger right back, said the same thing. The Bone Wars really ramped up in 1877 when a geologist named Arthur Lakes discovered massive dinosaur bones near Morrison, Colorado. He tried to alert Marsh to his findings, but Marsh was slow to respond. Again, Marsh's MO seemed pretty infuriatingly laissez-faire. Not hearing from Marsh, Lakes instead sent his specimens to Cope. That got Marsh's attention, of course, and Marsh hired Lakes and sent a bunch of his own crew to Colorado to get in on the mad dash for dinosaur bones. Over the next decade and a half, Cope and Marsh's rivalry hit a pinnacle, their tactics becoming even shadier than before. Marsh started outright bribing people to work for him instead of Cope, and hired spies to snag intel on the findings of Cope, and even wrote covert letters and telegrams giving Cope the codename B. Jones. And if you're feeling slightly more sympathy for Edward Cope, don't. Cope, holding up his own part of the assholery, continued his bad habit of rushing to publish his discoveries and even bought his own scientific journal called The American Naturalist to publish all of his findings and, of course, congratulate himself for them and to ostracize Marsh as much as he could from the dino community. According to the PBS American Experience recounting the Bone Wars, Cope published 76 academic papers between 1879 and 1880 and a staggering 1,400 articles during his whole lifetime. I'm going to go out on a limb and say the quality was probably not perhaps up to par. Somehow, between all of this writing and discovering and exploring, he found the time to exploit Marsh's vulnerabilities in 1884 when Congress began to investigate the proceedings of the Consolidated Geological Survey Marsh was head of. Soon after, with Princeton and UPenn professors rallying around him, Cope shared an elaborate journal of mistakes and misdeeds that Marsh had committed, a kind of paleontological burn book, and they were published and refuted by Marsh in the New York Herald. One story headline in the Herald says it all, quote, scientists wage bitter warfare. According to author Elizabeth Noble Shore, the scientific community was galvanized. Quote, most scientists of the day recoiled to find that Cope's feud with Marsh had become front page news. Those closest to the scientific fields under discussion, geology and vertebrate paleontology, certainly winced, particularly as they found themselves quoted, mentioned or misspelled. The feud was not news to them, for it had lurked at their scientific meetings for two decades. Most of them had already taken sides. The two men were also finding so many bones during this time that their respective institutions didn't have a place to store them all. Some people say Cope and Marsh were so competitive, they destroyed any leftover bones from a dig site just to prevent the other from finding them. 
1877, it was Marsh's turn for humiliation. He had discovered a long-necked dinosaur and named it Apatosaurus. But the incomplete specimen was missing its skull, so Marsh guessed that a skull found elsewhere belonged with the Apatosaurus. He was wrong. It was actually the skull of a Camarasaurus. When he examined another long-necked fossil a couple of years later, he named that one Brontosaurus. But it was actually just an Apatosaurus, this time with the right skull. Despite the fact that other paleontologists discovered and corrected his error a few decades later, both names stuck, which is probably why you know the name Brontosaurus and Apatosaurus, and likely visualize them incorrectly. For the rest of the Bone Wars, Marsh preferred to enlist the services of local collectors. Though he had enough bones to study for years and years, he always wanted more. Cope was a little more prolific, going out a couple more times on a couple more digs, and of course, also trying to steal some of Marsh's local collectors away from him. But the two continued to smear each other in publications, and the biggest casualties of their rivalry were themselves. By 1882, Marsh was still the head paleontologist at the new U.S. Geological Survey. His political connections allowed him to financially cut off Cope from the government funding that was so essential to supporting his work. He even tried to seize Cope's fossils on the grounds that they were the government's property. But again, don't feel badly for Cope. He kept publishing articles accusing Marsh of plagiarism and mismanagement of government money, among other things. Cope and Marsh both used the press as their final battlefield, going back and forth for weeks. In the end, Congress cut the budget for the U.S. Geological Survey's paleontology department and ousted Marsh, also forcing him to hand over his entire fossil collection. Cope, too, was dealing with financial hard times, having spent so much money on his publication, not getting money from the government, going out on his own private expeditions, and, of course, sabotage. He tried to sell his giant fossil collection, but he could only sell a portion of it. Cope died broke at age 56 in 1897. Marsh died two years later at 67, also completely broke. But it doesn't end there. Cope issued Marsh a final challenge before his death. Many scientists of the day would donate their body and skull to science. So Cope had his skull donated to science too, but mostly so that his brain could be measured, hoping, of course, that his brain would be larger than that of his adversary. At the time, brain size was believed to be a measure of intelligence. Marsh never accepted the challenge, and Cope's skull is reportedly still preserved at the University of Pennsylvania, but has been passed around to faculty over the years. So, who won the Bone Wars? Nobody, really, though I will give Marsh props for working with indigenous people, making good on a promise with Chief Red Cloud, an Apache chief that he worked with in order to complete his digs. Marsh lobbied the Interior Department and President Ulysses S. Grant on behalf of Red Cloud, and again on behalf of Native rights as a whole. Of course, who knows really what his motives were. He might have been trying to make a name for himself against the unpopular Grant administration. Hard to say. I will also give Cope some respect for challenging Marsh to a skull and brain off. A little fuck you, even in death. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that 
and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.